Uh, you're listening to Bike Live here on Motorsport 101, episode 13 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101, and we dearly, dearly wish we were bringing you this show in happier circumstances. For those who aren't aware, and I'm sure you all are by now, uh, on Monday we lost one of the legends of our sport. Uh, Nicky Hayden lost his life after a cycling accident on Wednesday, the 17th of May, uh, on the Rimini coast of Italy. He was involved in a collision with a car whilst out training and was taken immediately to hospital. Following immediate treatment, he was then taken to the Maurizio Buffalini Hospital in Cesena, where he later lost his life with his fiance and family beside him. Nicky Hayden was a former MotoGP world champion and an official MotoGP legend, having received that status shortly before his switch to World Superbikes. Uh, he also went on to win a World Superbike race in Sepang in 2015 and was currently riding for the Red Bull Honda team in the World Superbike Championship and indeed raced at Imola uh, less than two weeks ago. This show will pay tribute to the Kentucky Kid. Nicky Hayden, who lost his life at the age of 35. Uh, I'm Lewis Sotheby. Um, a warm welcome to all of you. Uh, as I say, we wish we were bringing you this show in happier circumstances. Uh, not least because for the first time in 2017, we have the Bike Life band together in its entirety. It's a warm welcome to Andre Harrison and to Rebecca James. Welcome to you both. Uh, like, honestly, like, like uh, we, we, we've put our blood feud on hiatus for a week. So, c- come back for the inevitable moment where Beck strangles me on next week's show. Um, but yeah, again, I can only echo what Lewis just said. I, 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 it's, 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 it's a lovely thing that we've got all three of us here, but unfortunately, I wish it could have been under brighter circumstances. Um, but uh, yeah, like, hey, if, if, we're doing, if we're doing the Nicky Hayden tribute show, we're doing this justice, damn it. Mm. So we have, we have all three of us here for, for the best, you know. Oof. Yeah, Bex. I mean, we. I think. I think like all of us. I mean, when the news broke. I mean, I was at work on Monday when this news broke. Obviously, we knew over a, a number of days that the situation was pretty dire, and we were all praying that he would somehow pull through it. But it doesn't make it any easier. And I think it was just we were just all just, just stunned, just dumbstruck, just broken when when we found this news out. Yeah, I I had been at work in the day, um, and for some reason hadn't been on my own Twitter account. I'd been on the work's Twitter account and I'd not looked at my phone for it the day and I came out of work and obviously my phone, it just was everywhere and I just stood in the car park like completely, I just completely, completely in disbelief. I was like, I really wanted it to be the fake news scheme that just took over again like they tried to a few days before and that's mm. what makes this even worse now is that for a first sort of five ten minutes i didn't believe it and i was in mm. that much of a shock that i was then found myself trying to to find out if it was true and and trying to find a, a, a true news source to actually find out whether this it, it was true this time and it absolutely crippled me i mean he was such an amazing rider and we've spoke so many times of how much we all loved him and you just for for it to be a cycling accident so just a week or so after he rode and finished a world superbike race it just it just you can't put it into words the disbelief and the shock and the just the question of why mm. what 
Yeah, it's it's a good point that I was thinking that um, given that Dre, we we put these guys quite rightly on, on pedestals. We view them as <laughs> as superheroes, really, in many ways. Given what they do, they do things that none of us could even dream of being able to do, um, or ever have the bravery of doing. Um, racing two hundred mile an hour motorcycles around the world um, every other every other weekend, um, and we almost view these guys as invincible. Um, and you know, Nicky was in many ways, not just because of his the fact that he was such a such a popular figure in America and the fact that he was a world champion, but he, I think we all viewed him kind of on that sort of superhero level, um, which was why I think we were all so shaking with fear when we interviewed him, um, which, yeah. which we're going to talk about um, later in the show. Um, but this just goes to show horrifically just how that we are all human and just how fragile life is. There's somewhat of a, of a it's, it's, it's a cruel twist of fate that um, a man that made his name racing motorcycles at 200 miles an hour around the world for, for almost two decades was cruelly taken from us while riding a bicycle in a street. Um, it's, 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 it's awful and it's weird how these things can turn out sometimes, but you're absolutely right in the sense that Nicky Hayden was like was a superhero to many of us like especially given that he was basically the captain america of moto gp he flew the flag and represented pretty much an entire nation for a, for a good decade in moto gp when you know we've had we've had other american riders on on that level of course colin edwards ben spees etc but I, th- I don't think anyone stood out and had that level of success um for nicky hayden since the previous era of people like 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 rainy and schwartz and whatnot so yeah, like again, it's you're absolutely right. Like, like I think as motorsport fans in general, we don't think about these things quite so much. But you know, these guys are human too. Even if they are doing superhuman things, like like racing cars or bikes at insane speeds of a ridiculous amount of talent that they have, and I think we often so take that for granted. Um, even even in MotoGP, where we've had, unfortunately, I think this is the fifth major fatality in the, it's this century. And it doesn't get any easier, and it's just awful to, to to have to go through this again. I mean, we did it just this time last year, pretty much, and mm, here we are again. Yeah, yeah, Lewis Salon lost his life around this this time last year. Uh, as, a year ago, uh, horrifically, the irony it was on a day when on the day we had Nicky Hayden on this very show um, uh, when we lost to Lewis Salon uh, last season, and um, and that's worth pointing out for for those. I know um, Dre addressed it on. Um, Motorspot 101 this week, episode 87. For those that were wondering why we did not have a bike live last week, uh, it was for the very reason of we did not want to record any kind of uh, review show of what happened at Imola, given that something much more serious was taking place uh, elsewhere uh, surrounding Nicky Hayden. Uh, Now, this week, we have two shows. Um, This show that you're listening to is a tribute to to the life of Nicky Hayden. Um, we will also be reviewing what did happen uh, last weekend at Le Mans and the extraordinary um, MotoGP weekend uh, at the French Grand Prix. That will be out in a few days' time um, when we cover the Vinales versus Rossi battle in MotoGP, uh, the uh, Moto3 skittle job on the second lap, uh, and the extraordinary start to that Grand Prix and everything that happened at Le Mans. Um, But this is not the show to talk about that. We will do that separately in a few days time um and this is not a kind of show where we're gonna sort of structure it and go with any sort of set list or running order we're kind of just gonna go with the flow on this one um 
Bob Beck's Nicky Hayden, um, the man, and Nicky Hayden, the rider, um, are two sort of bullet points I've I've got down. And, and Nicky Hayden, the man. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody who had a bad word to say about about Nicky uh, as a human being. But when when you think of Nicky Hayden, the human being, I mean, what comes to your mind? Well, first and foremost, when I think of him, um, I just smile because mm. whenever you watched an interview with him or just saw him around the paddock he was seemed and came across as such a genuinely nice bloke that had time for everyone and just was so happy to be in the position that he was doing the job that he loved so every week week in week out um and he just was so genuinely kind and thoughtful and he had a sense of humor like god um some of the one-liners um that probably weren't meant to be one-liners but (laughs) made everyone chuckle um that smile um and just the 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 gleam in his eyes every time he lined up on the grid before he put his helmet on Mm. yeah you, you never get the sense dre that he ever took for granted what he had i mean he he right. was he was such a I mean any guy that can say that they won a MotoGP World Title, won Grand Prix, two of which are in his home home country, in front of his family. Um, you know they've they've had a very very lucky life. Um, but you never really got the sense that he he missed that. You always get the sense that he fully appreciated how how lucky he was to have what he had. Yeah, again, Beck summed it up better than I ever could. Um, he, the, the, the smile was infectious; it never went away from Nicky. Um, no matter, not not for long anyway. And it was it, it was always such a happy, humble man to be around. And like again, he was always so happy on that MotoGP grid. And you know what? That is just that's passion right there. And passion shines through. I think in almost anything you do. And even in a sport that can be ridiculously brutal, harsh, and if you're physically, mentally demanding, we always had Nicky smile, and that is something that never really went away. And that is something that you know it's, it's incredibly valuable, and it's easy to forget that in in a sport that can let's be real here sometimes lacks personalities and lacks characters yeah. and, and lacks people you can emotionally be invested in but Nicky hayden was always that guy he was always that guy no matter what the situation no matter what the bike no matter what the predicament he was always there and he was always smiling and that is something that even like like now that he's gone it's just something you just appreciate and and, and respect even more is that like, yeah, like, like we, we've seen people like and this is one of bex's heroes casey stoner who hated the internal workings of the sport and, the, and that was a contributor to the fact he retired so early at just what 26 27 years old and yet nikki was still in moto gp at the age of 33 having done over a decade in the sport and he was still just a, a ridiculously great professional who was always happy and always happy to be there and the, the contrast is is palpable and again like those things are always so valued and it reminds me a lot of jensen button in formula one a guy again another guy that was always happy and always there for a chat and always had a good laugh and you could see that that was a guy that genuinely loved his job and i think when it comes to life in general 
if you see if you see someone that's genuinely passionate about their work it resonates and like that's that's part of the course for nikki hmm. yeah and it's it's one thing to be uh, respected um it's another to be beloved um and, and nikki was beloved <laughs> um by just about everybody who ever came in into contact with him um the three of us included um i mean when you look at the the outpouring of of emotion, the outpouring of, of tributes this week. It, it's it's not just come from his peers in MotoGP. It's come from from everywhere. You know, you you read on Twitter people like Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button. You you read people who have never even had any kind of involvement in motorsport um, giving their giving their tributes. I mean, I I was at work um, earlier this week. As I mentioned earlier, I was at work when the news broke, and you know, I had colleagues at work who have never. Re- I don't think I've ever watched a motorcycle race, but they knew who Nicky Hayden was. Um, yeah, and it, it it struck a chord with them without even knowing, um, particularly the guy. They knew him. They knew Nicky. Um, and you know, when we're talking about a guy Bex, who, you know, he, his name goes beyond beyond his own sport. Um, in that he's not just known within his own sport; he is known around the world. We really are talking about someone special. Oh God, yeah. And I mean, the tributes have been worldwide for him. Uh, over the last few days and and rightly so because as we just talked about he's got that nature that you didn't have to watch the sport to know to, to hear of him and subsequently be struck something strike you inside for you to remember that person and um, he was so genuinely kind that everyone in the world that was lucky enough to know him really is the luckiest person on earth because I would have given anything to just have been able to talk to him one last, you know, one more time and just say, Mm. thanks for everything, you know, this, that and the other and just really reminisce on everything because you you never know, do you? And this goes just, what an instant like this just goes to prove that you you never really do know and we talk about how these riders put their lives on the line week in week out and sometimes we even give them a hard time um and then when something like this happens to to one of your heroes you, you kind of sit back and think actually you you really need to respect more what they do and if they have a bad weekend because it's raining then so be it but they're still all home safe mm. yeah i mean this, this week um, more than more than most has shown just how fragile life is, given what what occurred um, in Manchester earlier this week, and obviously our, our thoughts with everyone affected um, mm. by that tragedy uh, earlier in the week, uh, a horrific uh, episode um, at Manchester Arena on Monday night. Um, Nicky Hayden, the man, was was universally adored um, by just about everyone who ever came into contact with him. Nicky Hayden, the rider, uh, Dre, he he of course came from the AMA. Superbike Championship won that um, quite comfortably in in 2002, um, to the point that it earned him a spot with the Repsol Honda team uh, on the MotoGP grid. And well, I can't remember many people. Well, no one really since has taken that route into MotoGP straight into one of the top leading class teams in MotoGP. Um, yeah, that is Repsol Honda. Um, I don't think we're. I don't think we're going to see anyone take that route again. Um, you, you have to really go through the European ladder, the CEV ladder, or Red Bull rookies, really, to to earn that kind of spot now. And even then, you have to go through Moto Three, Moto Two, 
Um, but it just it was just a measure of just how good Nicky was at that time that he went straight in at Repsol Honda as teammate to Valentino Rossi, no less. Yeah, that's that. That was a massive like. This is when Valentino Rossi was was becoming tra- uh, was becoming a transcendent star in, in in all of motorsport. So Valentino Rossi was becoming the biggest name in all of motorsport, maybe outside of Michael Schumacher at the time. Given that was Schumi's prime, you had Valentino Rossi on the other side of the coin. And you're right. I mean that that American side of the ladder is now effectively dead. Since, since since that's happened now, and for, for obviously that's that's brutal because I'd love to see a, a bigger American influence in MotoGP, um, but you're absolutely right. Nicky Hayden dominated AMA in 2002, and yeah, as you said, he jumped the queue. He walked into a, a factory rider Honda with, with one of the best teams in the business, probably the best team in the business at the time, and and got. A, a absolute world class teammate. Obviously, obviously, you know, not that we knew it at the time, but most likely the greatest rider we've ever seen as his teammate. No pressure or anything. But um, yeah, I mean, that was an unbelievable achievement for Nicky. And again, we've not really seen anything like it since, and we probably never will again, where a guy's dominated a regional championship that much. They thought a MotoGP team was what we've got to have him. Just to just to see what just to see what he can do. That's that's practically impossible in today's market now because, as you said, the European ladder is so diverse, and there's there's the like the ladder has so many rungs to get in. And even if people are jumping the, the queue a couple of times, it's never to the extreme that Nicky Hayden did in two thousand and three. So yeah, you're absolutely right. This was this was a unicorn moment, so to speak, in MotoGP, and it ended up being justified. Yeah, it was. And Bex, when you look at he earned the Rookie of the Year title in his first season. He finished fifth in the points overall. That did earn him top rookie for that season. And when you talk about the guys he beat, I mean, this was a rookie class that included Troy Bayliss and Colin Edwards. Colin Edwards, fresh from winning uh, the 2002 Superbike World Championship. Um, that's a scale of what Nicky did in his first season. Of course, Nicky was in no way on the same level of experience as those guys, who, of course, had both won World Superbike titles by this point. Um, Nicky join MotoGP as a rookie at the same time as these guys and beat them. You know, we can't understate that. No, and, I mean, you, you see every now and again, um, you just see this, this shining light and you know that that person's going to be someone special on a MotoGP bike. And clearly, Repsol Honda saw that, made the bold move uh, of bringing him in and within 16 rounds of the championship he repaid their faith in him by 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 doing just that by beating top names from superbike series from being top rookie for getting on the podium twice in the first in his first season um you should never been able to do you you shouldn't be you 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 shouldn't just walk into a motor gp factory seat having never ridden a bike of that calibre or raced a bike of that calibre and, and walk in and just bag yourself two podiums, top rookie and, and beat the likes of, you know, Troy Baddis and Conrad who then go on to do great things themselves. But it, it just goes to show that, that there's just the right scope and given the right backing can go on to great things and just a few years later he did that in the biggest possible sense, but it started off as a dream and it just kept getting better. Yeah, Nicky was only 21 um, back in, in 2003. Uh, we, you know, we 
obviously he, he's been around so long that we almost think he was he was older than he was. But yeah, he was only 21 years of age um, when he moved in straight into MotoGP. And as I say, the likes of Colin Edwards and Troy Bayliss um, were were entering the class at the same time as him um, back there because Bayliss was riding for the factory Ducati team. Um, Colin Edwards uh, was riding for and a prettier team uh, that season um, alongside Noriyuki Haga. So, you know, these aren't these aren't average riders that Nicky Hayden was beating back in 2003. Um, you know, and MotoGP was was in its, its early days back then, but we still had such a, a high class of riders um, in the championship at that time. Of course, Valentino Rossi, who who went on to win that championship, um, but. You know, just look at the riders that he, that he beat. Uh, you know, we had like so Rossi, Gibanao, Biaggi, Caparossi. Uh, then came Hayden and Bayliss. We had Carlos Checker in around at that time. Alex Barros, um, Shinji Nakano, Tamada, Colin Edwards, Haga, Malandri, Hopkins. Um, you know, it was still st- such a strong championship at that time. And and like you say, Bex, you know, you, you you see young riders come along and they just instantly grab your attention. Um, and Nicky at that time was certainly one who did that. And um, he he didn't have the victory to go with his undoubted potential Drake until 2005, um, when he won the United States Grand Prix. And you know we can't we can't understate how significant a weekend this was because this was the first United States Grand Prix um, at Laguna Seca in 2005. The United States had been yearning for a MotoGP race for so long. It finally got one, and it got the home winner. It was desperate for, and Nicky was superb all weekend. Indeed, and he he was, he just kind of you can't ask for a better turn of fate, can you? For for a rider to win, he's the first ever Grand Prix that he ever wins for it to win in his home country, and I mean, I can only imagine the way he must have felt and the celebrations for himself and Honda, um, that you know the hard work and the trust had paid off. Um, to, to the highest extent and he was unstoppable it was as if you know he'd bagged a few podiums both in 2003 and 2004 you know a couple of third places in each round but it was it was as if a, a sort of a light got switched as soon as we got to Laguna Seca and you just knew that he was going to be unstoppable mm. he, he was and 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 Something that's always struck me, Dre, and struck us all about Nicky Hayden was how important how important family was to him. Um, you know, he, he he held them so dearly to his heart. His father Earl joined him on the slowdown lap of that victory, uh, mm. Laguna Seca, and you know, not many people will remember every lap of that race. I don't remember every lap of that 2005 United States Grand Prix, but I think we all have that image of Nicky riding around the slowdown lap with his father. Um, on board with him, celebrating his victory. That's probably the defining image of that race. Yeah, and maybe his entire career. If you go, to, if you go a year forward to Estoril, two last or sorry, but Sam Valencia, two thousand six, where he won that world title. Like, who's there with him on the? Who's there with him on the bike? His dad Earl, and that just kind of says it all. That he was such a family guy, and I've listened to many an interview with Nicky over the years, and like the. It's it's not an, I'm not saying this in an obnoxious way, but he wouldn't go more than maybe five sentences about talking about his family because it just meant that much to him. Mm. Uh, the racing family that he had, his his dad Earl, his his brother Roger, um, just just he, he it was a true racing family, and 
you know, they're they're a rare rare thing in in in, in motorcycle racing these days. And uh, I remember when we interviewed Brad Binder last year, and he talked about his brother Darren and, and what a, and what a positive influence it was having his family on the grid alongside him and having having that around him. It's 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 a very valuable thing. Like there is nothing quite like family like that. And it it was the backbone of, of Nicky, and it was the backbone of what made him the rider he was. And yeah, um, like I said, it's, it's an, it was an iconic part of Nicky, and again, those pictures of him in, in, in Valencia and obviously Laguna Seca as well, um, they, they speak of the man and they speak of the rider and they speak of, of, of the legacy of the Hayden family. Yeah, as you say, they, they were a racing family. Uh, his brothers, Tommy and Roger Lee Hayden, um, have been racing uh, for as long as Nicky has. Um, and I remember reading um, an interview on MotoGP.com earlier this week where they, they republished an interview that they did with him um, I believe uh, around Philip Island last year when he made that sort of brief comeback uh, to Repsol Honda um, when Danny got injured um, and he was asked what his first memory was uh, on a motorbike and he said basically his answer was worse to the effect of do you know what I don't know because all I ever remember is, is sitting on motorbikes my very first memories are on a motorbike so that's all he ever really knew he, he lived it that was he and his family lived motorcycle racing it was in their blood and, and uh, yeah Nicky yeah, Nicky just adored racing motorcycles. As I say, he was doing it from from the first moment that that he can remember. And and into 2006, of course, he won his first Grand Prix in 05, um, ended up finishing third in the championship that year, um, and not a very close third, it has to be said. Landry finishing the runner-up, Rossi, a dominant champion. Um, and into 2006, Bex, and we need to really put this into context where we were at in 2006. Valentino Rossi was in his pomp because he'd won a number of world championships. He'd now become one of the very first very few riders to win consecutive championships for different manufacturers he'd won for honda he then moved to yamaha and won titles for them too um in 04 and 05 um seti Gibernau, who was his main threat to that point had moved to ducati he joined loris caparossi at the factory ducati team we still had the likes of marco melandri uh, on hondas who were looking to go that next step and challenge rossi for the title we had the incredible young rookies coming into the class that season we had casey stoner at lcr honda and we had danny pedroza coming into repsol honda alongside nicky hayden um, for that season uh, nicky hayden had a rookie crew chief and a very developmental motorcycle that he had to deal with this was not supposed to be nicky's year um but nicky made it his year consistency is key and he did not give up one ounce of of determination for it that season, and he really made it his own. And you know, the third place in Valencia was enough after um, Rossi came into difficulty in the opening sort of stages. Um, and but you know what? It don't matter about that because he'd done enough for it that the rest of the season and had been so consistent. He got ten podium places out of that seventeen round Grand Prix uh, season. And, you know, I always say the one thing that I'm probably going to have tattooed on me next is, because it's my my constant saying, consistency is key. If you consistently put in the performances, and you don't have to win every Grand Prix to win a title. And Nicky had to improve that in that year because he won two Grand Prix. He won uh, in the States and he won in the Netherlands. And that was that was the only two Grand Prix that he won. Um but he consistently, for eight of the Grand Prix out of 17 against those two, finished on either of the two steps of the podium. And as long as you're packing the points in, 
in the op- in in the, the sort of the top I'd say five positions, then you're gonna be in with a chance, especially as everyone was taking points off each other that season. And for me, that 2000 season was incredible. And I don't know if you've seen on Twitter like with all the tributes, um, but you know, like the 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 gifs that have been going out of him when he won the ground when he won yeah. the championship and he's there and he's streaming the emotions pouring out of him and, yeah. um he just gives you goosebumps on the back of your neck because you he's there and he's proudly holding the american flag and he is inconsolable but in such a different way to him being obviously upset i mean he was just so emotional that he'd actually done this four years ago Oh, well, you know, three seasons before this, he got brought in as a rookie, and now at the end of his fourth full season, he's he's world champion, and he's the highest you can ever be in a sport. He's reached the top. Something that kids nowadays, you know, you can only ever dream of. You say, I'm going to be world champion, and he probably said that when he was a kid, but the fact that he actually became a reality... It was a life's work coming to fruition, wasn't it? It was a lifetime ambition uh, being being realised uh, for Nicky. And and yeah, as you mentioned, the, the American flag that he had with him, this was a guy who, um, with, without ever being jingoistic about it, without ever rubbing anyone's faces, this guy was just damn proud of who he was and where he'd come from. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I'm it, it, it meant it meant a lot exactly, and it meant a lot to him um, to to be flying that flag. Given uh, as Dre mentioned earlier in the show, who had flown that flag before him, um, he was following in some pretty big footsteps there um, as the American poster boy for for motorcycle racing, and and he he held up his end of the bargain. He he did it justice um, throughout his career, not least in 2006. And and as I mentioned, Dre, uh, that 2006. When you look at the season, the way it shaped up, that wasn't supposed to be Nicky's year. Um, I mean, just take Repsol Honda, for instance, who had introduced Danny Pedrosa to the team. And it's amazing to talk about Danny in these in this sort of context now, given how long he's been in the sport and he's been an ever-present of that team ever since. Um, but back then, Danny was the, the young sort of upstart, the young golden boy coming into that team yeah, up from absolutely. having won the 250 titles. Um, he was the next... The, the next coming star for Repsol Honda and and it was Nicky who had the rookie crew chief Nicky was the guy who perhaps having had a, a slightly rough 2004 but got back into the swing of things in 2005 perhaps Nicky wasn't the guy that many expected to go on and become a world champion but through sheer grit through consistency as Bex mentioned and just through never giving up uh, Nicky made it happen it was a ridiculous season in that sense. Yeah, I mean, there were still five men eligible to win the title on the penultimate round in Estoril. Even Danny Pedrosa himself as a rookie had an outside chance of winning the title that that, that year. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Valentino Rossi, sure, he had, he had some bad luck with reliability, but that, that that's motorsport sometimes. Yeah. And you can only win what's right in front of you. You can only take what's in front of you. You only can take your chances that you've been given. And you're absolutely right. It was a matter of, of consistency and just basically Nicky just getting the best of what he could get to him on on any given weekend and yeah like you can make the argument that it really wasn't meant to be Nicky's year if you go by the form book if you go by the eye test you could probably say that Valentino Rossi probably was still ridiculously strong all season long but was you know was plagued by by outside circumstances Colin Edwards was strong that year Marco Melandri was strong that year Again, Marco Melandri was was great, and Danny Pedrosa was great, but Nicky was the one that that, that came through. He, even after that awful 
uh, unfortunate crash they had in Estoril where Danny Pedrosa goes a little bit too hot and he's collected and you could see the emotions on Hayden's face. He looked like he was about to rip Pedrosa's head clean <laughs> off his shoulders because um, so, so, he thought the dream was dead right there and then. And who can blame him given that Valentino Rossi was leading that race um, at the time of the accident? And yeah, the fact that one race later Rossi falls and then Hayden kept his head and would go on to win the title. It's the story writes itself. It's it's mm. it's it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It and is it is movie like, isn't it? The way the it way is, the way it panned cool. out. I think he, Nicky said that to us. Um, so I was listening yeah. back to that interview because for those who haven't heard the interview we did with him, which we're going to come on to talk about a little bit later on, you can hear it. Uh, if you're listening to this show via the SoundCloud page or through iTunes, basically the previous bike live to this, um, you can listen to uh, the entire Nicky Hayden interview which we put up uh, last week. Um, but yeah, it was movie like the way the way it all panned out towards the end of that season. Just the the despair of Estoril having been taken out of a, a, a pretty strong position by his team with Danny Pedrosa. Of course, it was the two Repsol Hondas and the two Yamahas who were fighting at the front of that race at that point um, before the two Hondas were taken out of play. Um, and and Nicky said afterwards that within an hour of that race, he, he pretty much sort of calmed down about it all and was thinking of Valencia and still believed that it could be done. Um, and, you know, there were so many images from, from that whole sort of, two three week period that they that give me goosebumps like I say the the emotion from Nicky when he thinks it's all gone um the the incredible fight between Tony Elias and Valentino Rossi which had such a bearing on where the championship ended up uh, a couple of weeks later um the image of Nicky sat in his garage half hour before the race in Valencia and Danny coming over to shake his hand um as to sort of say my good luck let's go and get this one uh, and let's sort of atone for what happened two weeks ago which is exactly yeah. what they did um, like, it's, it's funny you mentioned that in an interview a couple of months ago Danny Pedrosa had actually admitted that he was willing to basically take team orders to help Nicky win the title as, a, as an apology to Repsol Honda for what happened in Estoril which is crazy incredible <laughs> and a measure of um, we, we didn't really view Danny like that at the time I say because he was he was the young rookie but um, now we, that doesn't really surprise us now about Danny does it that he would have made that kind of gesture but at the time given what he'd done he, he was kind of being portrayed as the, the petulant little rookie who's who just um, spited his teammate and spited his own team there, and um, mm-hmm. we we know now that Nicky, uh, that the Danny should I say was was not that kind of guy at all. He was he just wanted to go and win a motorcycle race and got it wrong, um, but but it all worked out in the end with with Valentino Rossi crashing out of the the season finale in Valencia, having made a bad start and fallen down the field, um, and he could see the title slipping away um, and and succumb to the pressure um, of that situation. Nicky Hayden going on to finish third in that race, behind the two Ducatis uh, of Bayliss and Caparossi. Uh, and that was enough for Nicky to win the championship by five points. Um, and his title defence didn't exactly go great. Um, again, a developmental Honda that he had to struggle with that year. Um, but really, none of that really matters. And we talk about Nico Rosberg, um, Bex, as the kind of guy who, to him, one title was enough. Um, and I think for Nicky, although I don't think he would have ever seen it that way, he would have always wanted to go on and win more in his career. Uh, given how he did it and given you know the, the strife and the adversity he had to go through, one title really was enough for Nicky um, because he put so much into achieving that. Indeed. And it, that one title gave him the, the name and the word champion that can never be taken away from him. And so in that sense, one title was enough because we all knew he was an incredible rider. We all knew he deserved to be classed as a champion and a legend. And 2006 is what really gave him that 
in in, in sort of trophy form. Mm. So I mean, you, you can never take that away from someone. And that one, the way he won it, and the sheer emotion that you saw for it the whole of that season, um, just goes to prove that you don't need to be a multi multi time champion. You don't need to win seventeen of eighteen championships in your life. You, you you don't need to do that because no matter how many trophies you've got on your shelf, whether you've got ten like Rossi might have at the end of the season, or whether you've got one, you're still a champion. Mm. Uh, and and as you as you right to say, the way he won it uh, just just speaks volumes. You know, very few people have ever had to overcome more and work harder to win a title. Um, than, than Nicky did in 2006 and, and, and something that really strikes me Dre when, when looking through his career and um, he, his many many years in MotoGP uh, look at some of the teammates he had uh, over the course uh, of his career uh, Nicky Hayden was teammates to Valentino Rossi twice um, mm-hmm. once in his pomp at Honda once in his sort of um, d- darkest depths I suppose at, at Ducati um, six or seven years ago um, he was teammates with Danny Pedrosa um, at the start of Danny's MotoGP career. He was teammates with Casey Stoner at Ducati when Stoner was in his absolute peak. Um, you know, this was a guy who was never shy of ducking a challenge to his career. He was teammates to Andrea Dovizioso um, at, at Ducati as well. And Nicky Hayden, having been teammates with all of these guys, pretty much comes off not favourably in terms of having beaten them, but Nicky Hayden... Nicky Hayden's achievements stack up against these guys. Nicky Hayden went into war, went into battle with these guys on equal machinery, and came out the other side with his reputation, if not enhanced, if not enhanced, he certainly came out with it intact. You know, Nicky came out of that so well, having basically taken on some of the biggest challenges any rider can ever take on in their career. Exactly, and like you, like you said, he's probably got the most glittering array of teammates MotoGP has ever had. He's had a who's who of tremendous teammates probably two or three guys you, you like you've mentioned in there are, are, are hall of famous first yeah, ballot not one to duck a challenge nicky no not to say the least um basically he's he's fought a who's who of, of all motor gp hall of famers including the greatest rider of all time like a danny pedrosa who is one of the most consistent riders we've ever seen in the top flight um, Andrea Davizioso, another real workhorse and a guy that probably should have more to his name than what he actually has in in, in there. Like, like I said, there's some incredible riders he's worked with. He's never backed away from a challenge, and he's never looked bad by, by uh, compared to any of the guys he had to fall for. If anything, I think he was praised a lot for stay, for staying with Ducati during their darkest times over there, where Valentino Rossi was there, Hayden was there, and you know when. Despite Ducati, you know, racking up notches on a bedpost regarding top-tier teammates, and you know, trying to get elite-level riders to, to master that bike post Stoner, um, the guy that stuck through it all was Nicky Hayden. He still pulled off decent performances every once in a while, and it says a lot that he was brought back last season with Mark VDS and then with with Repsol as well to to fill in um, when injuries came around with Pedrosa and when when Jack Miller was hurt. It's, and again, Hayden. Looked like he belonged, which which is such a hard thing to do in MotoGP, which is getting more competitive, and and the standard is getting higher and higher by the year. It's it's ridiculous how good the MotoGP field is now, and yet Nicky Hayden was still there at the age of 34 last year, you know, riding as as well as anybody out there, and some of the some of the greatest young talents this sport's ever seen, and. Hayden's right there with them. It's, it's, it says, it's a testament to just how brilliant a rider Nicky was. Yeah, I mean, you usually look at, look at some of the riders whose 
Korea's arguably never really recovered from, from getting beaten badly by these guys. Take Marco Melandri from his time at Ducati oh, yeah. alongside Stoner, and he never really recovered from that um, in his MotoGP career. He was never really the same after that. But, yeah, Nicky was able to... Nicky had the sort of mental application and just the just sheer hard work to just make it work. Like, he was prepared to, to go through those hard yards to make it work. And um, in 2010, he, of course, had the podium at Aragon, a race that Casey Stoner won. Um, proving that although we, we speak for so so long about Casey Stoner really being the only guy that could get that Ducati to any kind of result, but Nicky Hayden had so many good results that season that don't get remembered. He was third, of course, at Aragon, as I mentioned, but there were a number of fourths and fifths over the course of that season as well. Nicky had such consistent 2010 um, on the Ducati. Mm. Back when that Ducati was not the, the sort of the, the operation it is now with, with Gigi Deligne and uh, an Audi. Um, that run, was, run that was the dark days of the Desmond Desi, for yeah, sure. That, that, those were the days where the Ducati were kind of doing it on a wing and a prayer, and they weren't really um, building a bike with their brain as such. They were building it with their hearts and just basically trying to build the most powerful beast they could and hope it hope it worked and hope Casey would accommodate <laughs> for for it. And, um, and Nicky was able to, to achieve good things um, with that bike too. Um, we have limited time on the show. We would love to go through every single sort of race of his career, but unfortunately we don't have the time to do that we have to talk world superbikes um with nikki um on this show whilst we have the time and of course he moved to world superbikes for uh the 2016 season um and bex this was huge for world superbikes i mean world superbikes um was it needed characters i think it was fair to say um it needed someone with a bit of um stardust with a bit of pull there's no question nikki had all of that um, I mean, we were we were so excited this time last year when Nicky um, moved into the World Superbike Paddock, and the fact that he was able to mark it with a victory at Sepang, his first World Championship level victory for ten years, uh, was such a special moment just for just for motorcycle racing, for motorsport to see Nicky on the top step of a podium again. I mean, we all know how much I love World Superbikes and will not let anyone bad move it. But even I had to admit that with Nicky Hayden coming over at the start of last year. Um, even I had to admit that, holy smoke, maybe this is what's going to finally make people not think that MotoGP is the be-all and end-all and actually start taking World Superbikes just a little bit more seriously. And I've proved that because, there's, I mean, as we all know, this might go off on a slight tangent, but um, with the pub I work in, it's so MotoGP heavy that we have a great time um and then i'll try and talk to people about world superbikes because my gp hadn't been on that weekend i'd be like how oh, did you watch the race this weekend they were like oh there weren't any and i'd be like no there was there was there was what superbikes and you know it's just because it's not done as be all and end all don't mean that you need to dismiss it and now i've turned two families that come into my pub into huge world superbike fans just because i've spoke to them about it and told them about the races and they've actually give it a go and they really enjoy it now um Humble brag. One one of the one of the things that they said to me though halfway through last season was we can't believe that Nicky Hayden's come over and I said well why not you know the World Superbikes is slowly bringing their paddock up um, and and he's just added just that little bit more class that that bit more experience the fact that these young kids like Mike Randall Mark and Alex are going to get to ride against a MotoGP champion. It'll bring their careers on, as well as giving him a platform in the factory that he loves. He's on a Honda. What you know? Why, why can't you believe that 
the bloke's made this decision and they're all so happy that he'd come over. And for him to win in Sepang, I actually think shock. I actually think I cried. <laughs> and I think we... I don't. I was. Up, I stayed up, um, or got up, whichever way you want to look at it, depending on my sleep pattern, um, and watched the race. And I don't know if any of you pair on Twitter at the time, but I think I had an emotional outburst. Um, you never have the those. whole of that. Ra- I know. So I uncommon. Never shed a tear. <laughs> so I just. Uh, but it was absolutely incredible to get one of my favourite riders into my favourite series and watch him win a race again. And, oh, I think that that might be where the tears came from. Hmm. And it, it, nice. wasn't, it wasn't just any old win either, was it, Dre? I mean, it was it was a, a race in wet conditions uh, in Sepang. It was, a re- let's, let's not forget the, the, the situation that, that Nicky and just about every rider is in in World Superbikes this season, not named Jonathan Ray. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a hard, it's hard championship to win in, let's, let's face it. Um, if you're not on a Kawasaki or a Ducati, you don't win, generally, in World Superbikes these days. Um, and Honda had been going through a tough period. Ever since they'd lost Jonathan Ray, um, they'd been struggling to win races. Jonathan Ray was the only guy to win anything on a Honda for the last six or seven years in World Superbikes. Um, probably since Toesland um, was winning championships on, on their bikes. And Nicky was sensational in that race, wasn't he? In those early laps, in conditions where... Riders weren't really sure what kind of group levels they were facing. Nicky just went off and took the ball and ran with it. Yeah, I mean, to, to put it into perspective here, I think only now are we just starting to realise just how magnificent a bike rider Jonathan Ray is as a transcendent talent. And we don't think, I, don't, I think, think we've given his Honda credit enough due because it makes the Nicky Hayden win that much more special because, as you said, Honda, Honda had struggled since since his departure, and they were never quite on the same level. They brought in a former world champion in Ginters, and it, it just wasn't the same for them, really. And again, Hayden won a incredibly difficult Grand, Grand Prix. You know, wet conditions are always tricky. They always up unpredictability. And as you say, Jonathan Ray... Um, and you know, Jonathan Ray, Tom Sykes, Chaz Davies, um, David Giuliano, who was also very strong that weekend as well in in the wet circumstances. This this is such a tough field to win in, and if you're not on, if you're not on a bike that happens to be painted green or red, um, so for Hayden to go out and, and you know look comfortable pretty much the whole way through, and make it look very 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 comfortable out there it was an incredible performance and and again another testament to how Nicky Hayden was just so good was that he was just able to win a, a very dangerous Sepang race again with, with a, new, a newly relayed Sepang it's worth pointing out as well um, so track service was a bit treacherous as well but despite that there he is Hayden finds a way to win um, so yeah just an, an, an unbelievable moment again in, in the career of Nicky Hayden mm, and uh, he's you, you could see as he was talking um, the, the sort of the fire still burned there um, and the, he said that when he spoke to us um, which we're going to come to in a moment uh, that you know it was, it was he, you know, he still desperately wanted to win even at that stage that this was no farewell tour for him um, right. it, moving to World Superbikes he still dearly wanted to win and wanted to compete um, and, and that was why he made the switch to all two bikes. He didn't want to ride around at the back of a MotoGP field. He wanted to go somewhere and try and win things. Um, and, and it was so good that we got to see him win uh, in World Superbikes. Um, and as I say, what a victory um, 
it was it, it was quite astonishing the whole the whole scenario of that weekend world superbikes incidentally we might as well mention it while we're while we're on the subject world superbikes does continue this weekend they're at donington park the the site of the first ever world superbike round and yeah it's it's going to be a highly charged atmosphere um there this weekend if you are listening to this in in the uk get yourself down there if you can um because it's going to be um an emotional weekend generally in world superbikes two things tend to happen uh, at donington park tom sykes wins and tom sykes yeah. wins once on yeah, saturday once on sunday um but that's really not the story this weekend there's, there's a lot more to this weekend now than that um even if even if he does go on to make it 10 in a row at, at, at donington park it's really going to be a celebration of the life of Nicky Hayden at Donington this weekend, and his Honda, his Red Bull Honda team, are racing this weekend incredibly. Um, wow! That they they are they have stated um, on uh, their press releases that were remembering Nicky Hayden. They have stated that they will compete. They will be at Donington this weekend, um, most likely with the one rider with Stefan Bradle going in alone for that team, um, and it's going to be such a tough weekend for that team uh, at Donington Park to try and to try and go race it, try and get on with their jobs, knowing that there's a huge part of their of their, their team that isn't with them. Um, you know, one half of their of their riding talent isn't with them anymore. And it, it's it's just it's just it's just tragic that that they're gonna have to go through that that experience this weekend. Um so World Superbikes continues. Um the show goes on as they say um this weekend uh, at Donington. Incidentally, um for those who don't watch World Superbikes regularly, um you can actually watch it on Sunday on free-to-air TV in the UK, um, which I can't remember saying that about a World Superbike round for, for a long, long time. Basically, for one of the quirks of the Eurosport scheduling and how jam-packed their schedule is, the French Open tennis gets underway on Sunday at Roland Garros, and ah, yes. it's the final round of the Giro d'Italia, the final stage of that. So um, Eurosport's two channels are kind of taken on Sunday. So it's live on Quest, which is a free-to-air free channel. Uh, in the UK, so anyone who's listening to this and who perhaps can't access Eurosport to watch World Superbikes, you can watch it on Sunday on Freeview on Quest. So uh, we we highly uh, encourage you to do that um, to watch the World Superbikes action on Sunday. On Saturday, it is still um, on Eurosport. Um, but one one thing we can't miss, Dre, we can't talk about Nicky Hayden on this show without talking about the time we spoke to him. Um, yes, on, on this show, um, as I mentioned, the interview in its entirety is. On our SoundCloud feed, it, it is officially designated as Episode Twelve Go Nikki, um, which we which we uploaded this time last week. Uh, as we mentioned, we didn't really feel um, comfortable recording a show while he was fighting for his life um, at that stage. But um, I mean, I, I know you're the same to me. That was that is one of the highlights of the highlights of, of you know not just this podcast, but one of my highlights. Period. Being able to just to have 15 minutes of time with the guy. I mean. Um, as I said right at the top of the show, we paint these guys as superheroes, and they say never meet your heroes, never talk to your heroes, but I think we can both speak in agreement that we're damn glad we spoke to ours. Damn straight. Um, I couldn't agree more, and yeah, it was, it was, it was like, I've been very fortunate with this show to be able to speak to multiple world champions and had some incredible opportunities lined up as, as the years have gone by, you know, not to name drop too much, but guys, guys like Brad Binder, Steve Parrish, 
um, you know, Tiffany Dell, etc. I've, I've, I've been extremely fortunate due to opportunities and whatnot back in back now with Motorsport 101, back with Downforce Radio, that I'm extremely grateful for. Nikki Hayden's the top of the list for me, and this was even before he passed. This, this, like this, like this was a genuine hero of mine. This was a guy that basically put put MotoGP back on the map in America, and. Yeah, a guy that like if, if, if somebody asked me once, I remember asking me like Dre, who would you really want to interview? Um, like, I think it was Adam that asked me this when I was around his house watching Aragon a couple of years ago, and he said I would love to have Nicky Hayden because Hayden would be seems like seems like he'd be such a great interview. And then later that year we did, and, and, it, and it was amazing. And yeah, just the only interview I've had on this show that's given me genuine goosebumps. It's like, oh my god, are we actually doing this? Uh, like. Like and like, are we actually doing this right now? Are we actually about to talk to Nikki Hayden? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Etc. And you know, I I don't fanboy over a lot of things outside of Sebastian Vettel victories, but that was pretty <laughs> special, um, to say the least. And yeah, again, because listeners don't don't often hear the the off air conversations that go on either before oh, yeah. before these shows or um, before <laughs> interviews. But we were both collectively bricking it. Uh, like, yes. like we're, we're both we're both normally pretty sort of not relaxed like we're always nervous when we're interviewing these kind of guys because um yeah. it's a pretty big deal um but we were both absolutely just fretting uh before uh before that kind of because like i say he was a hero he, you know, this was a guy that we we just didn't expect to ever talk to and it was one of those classic sort of like just a speculative oh do you know what i'll, I'll send off an email to the the press guy at, at, at honda and, and see what happens um, just totally not expecting to get a reply. Um, so so when uh, when we got one, it was it was just astonishing. It was yeah, it was it was just a dream come true to speak to a guy like that. Um, and you know these guys don't really ever get mentioned. You don't really ever hear the names of of the press guys. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna name drop him uh, on this on this show, uh, Valerio Pacini, uh, who still is the um the press officer for the Red Bull Honda World Superbike team. Um. I don't know if you'll ever hear this, but but thank you ever so much for, for allowing us to, to speak to one of our heroes uh, on this show, because it means an awful lot to me. I know it does to Dre, too. Um, just for giving us hashtag, that opportunity. Hashtag acceptable humble brag. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, think, I think we could be excused for this one, but yeah, um, yeah. thank you very much uh, to you, Valeria, for allowing us uh, to do that. Um, we'll never forget that, um, for, for being able to have a chance to, to talk to, to our hero. And, and as Dre's mentioned a few times on this show, we kind of got the time difference wrong. Uh, and called him an hour early. We called him in what was essentially the early hours of the morning where he was, um, and he and and he just shrugged it off and said, "Yeah, no worries. Let's just do it now. <laughs> Let's just talk now." Um, and and gave us fifteen fantastic minutes we of time with him. We woke him up yeah. at six a.m. We're terrible people, everybody. Don't inter- Don't do interviews with us. We are bad people. Yeah, we, <laughs> okay. we, we we nearly we nearly made the same mistake with Danny Kent too, where we uh, we oh, we, God. we got the time difference wrong on that one. We we just about <laughs> we just about salvaged it and interviewed him on time. I've um, never got out of my bed so fast in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we, 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 we might sound like professionals, but we do prove every now and again that we are so no, not. That we're really not. <laughs> so, um, so, so, which just uh, just emphasizes the fact that we got to speak to a guy like that, given that we're, we, you know, we're not exactly, uh, you know, we're not exactly David Ebbett and Neil Morrison sat here. Let's be, let's be real. Um, the fact that we got to do that was, um, was, was such a special moment for me, and, um, and, and I'll never, never forget that, that experience. Um, so many have paid tribute uh, to Nikki over the course of the last week. Um, Bex, I know you shared um, a tribute with us from from one James Toslin. 
um, talking about Nicky, Nicky saying <laughs> that his dedication, his professionalism, his personality, he was known in the paddock as the nicest Grand Prix racer um, there has ever been. Um, so many other tributes have been paid this week. Um, Lewis Hamilton among them. Uh, he paid tribute this week. My thoughts and prayers to you uh, and your loved ones. Dear Nicky, you will be missed. May God hold you high. You are forever in our hearts. Um, Jensen Button, uh, also a Formula 1 world champion. Totally shocked. Another one of the good guys gone way too soon. My thoughts with his family and loved ones at this terrible time. Felipe Massa also saying uh, my thoughts are with his family. Um, Cal Crutchlow, of course, of uh, MotoGP. Um, every motorcycle racer and fan around the world should and probably does look up to this guy. I did and still do. The best professional I have ever had the pleasure to meet, share a track with and be a friend of. Uh, R.I.P. Nicky Hayden. Our thoughts are with Jackie and the whole Hayden family. Danny Pedrosa, of course, as we mentioned earlier on, teammate Nicky Hayden in his championship year. He also tweeted, always in my heart, champ, R.I.P. Uh, Nicky. Um, Mark Marquez was another who um, paid tribute um, to Nicky Hayden earlier in the week. He actually paid kind of two tributes because he, he put something on social media um, around the time of the accident taking place. But he also said after the, the tragic passing of Nicky Hayden, um, I'm shattered after the news. We will never forget you, R.I.P. Um, Nicky Hayden. Um, as I say, I'm trying to find what he put on. Yeah, he put on a picture earlier in the week as well um, of the two when they were teammates uh, at Repsol Honda and Philip Island last season saying, my thoughts are with you, um, Nicky Hayden. Uh, and one more tribute that comes from Valentino Rossi, who, who uploaded this um, on Instagram um, late last week when Nicky was um, fighting for his life. I'll do my very best with this. It's been it's been translated literally via Instagram from Italian to English, so it's not exactly yes. in, in plain English. But I'll do my best to paraphrase um, some of the things he says. He says, Nicky is one of the best friends I've ever had in the paddock. Uh, we've been teammates with Honda in his rookie year when he was a young novice at his first um, experience in Europe. That season ended in the world title for me and with his first podium in Phillip Island. Um, after a few years, we fought against one another for the world title in 2006 until the last race. And unfortunately for me, he beat me and became the world champion. After the race, we shook hands and hugged. Later, we were still teammates in the difficult years of Ducati, when several times we fought to the end, maybe to win the last spot in the top five. Um, Nicky was often at the ranch where we had some secret battles together because he is one of the fastest flat track riders in the world. Um, and before his um, circuit racing career, he won one of the most important races of the American flat track uh, scene. Um, and this last quote for me is, is, is a really beautiful one too. He says, the fondest memory I have of him um, was when he came to shake my hand after the unfortunate Valencia 2015. We all know what happened on that weekend uh, during the lap of honor, uh, the lap after the Grand Prix. Um, for him, it was the goodbye to MotoGP. I had just lost the world championship. Um, his look of support inside my helmet is one of the few good memories I have of that day. Um, he then follows that up by saying, come on, Nicky, we're all with you. Of course, this was whilst Nicky was still um, fighting for his life. Um, he, he just touched just about everyone um, that he ever came into contact with. These are guys that we're talking about here, Bex, who are the very best in their sport. I mean, Valentino Rossi is the greatest of all time, and even he views Nicky as a hero yeah and i mean i know you guys will touch on last weekend's proceedings um from motor gp but i just want to say that the moment rossi went down and you saw his bike cam mm. and the tears and the emotion that that he shed then i don't entirely think that that was just because he'd fell off mm. 
yeah, you felt as if he he wanted to win that for for someone else. Yeah, I I mm-hmm. I, I got I got that feeling. I I, I know many others did. Um, and Danny Pedrosa dedicated his podium, um, and uh, just a measure of the kind of guy that Danny is as well. In that, um, in his part five interview after he'd finished second in that race, he he dedicated that result um, to Nicky, of course, as as we mentioned at that time, was still. Uh, fighting for his life in Italy, of course, a fight that he was unable um, to come through. Um, but yeah, just about everybody, everybody that ever came into contact with Nicky Hayden just adored the guy. As I mentioned earlier on, it's one thing to be respected, another to be beloved. Um, yes. And um, Andre, it, it's a very difficult show for us to try and sort of sign off from um, as we try and um, bring this show uh, to a conclusion. But um, generally, I mean, aspects earlier on. Um, the man, Nicky Hayden. I mean, when someone says to you, Nicky Hayden, I mean, what, what's your immediate response? My immediate response is Nicky Hayden, a a, 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 good, a great racer, an even better man. And again, one of the most important, like I said it on Twitter when I first heard the news, he, he, he's one of the most important riders of this era and his impact on MotoGP will be everlasting not only his world title not only the memories of 2006 probably in probably in particular not only Sepang last year where he, he had his first win in 10 years it was what he did for MotoGP in the United States I mean it was no coincidence that not shortly afterwards there was three American races on the calendar Laguna Seca, Indianapolis, and Circuit of the Americas as well. It's it's no coincidence, and I think Hayden was a massive factor in that. And again, I mentioned it earlier in the show, the fact he pretty much put MotoGP back on the map in the United States, which is such a strong biking country, a, a, a country of biking culture. Um, he was the face of that, more than probably anybody else this, since, since the turn of the century. And he he is so valued and so important and he is a key part of the, the history of our sport of the sport that we love so much and he's, he's he has a rightful place in the moto gp hall of fame but more than anything else he was a good man and that shined through in everything that he did on and off the circuit i mean, you know off, for the for the riders that competed against him for the fans that loved him around the world for Pokey Motorsport podcasters like us that got that had the honour of just fifteen minutes of the man. He touched us all. So, Nikki, thank you and goodbye. You will not be forgotten. Absolutely not. And and as as Dre mentions, he he is the last last bastion really of an era in America. And you know it's it's not escapes anyone's attention that there are no American riders in the MotoGP paddock uh, anymore. Um, there is now only one left in the world superbike paddock that is pj jacobson who races in in the super sport world championship um you know we, we we always this question always gets asked when someone's so special loses their life what will their legacy be um and we've we've spoken over the last hour what nicky hayden's legacy um will be but i think we'd all love to see um nicky's life inspire um some more young american racers to perhaps take take this on and try and become the next Nicky Hayden. I mean, there will never be another Nicky Hayden, but there will be many riders, hopefully, who will look to um, his life and look to aspire to do what he did um, and to be as, as, as special as he was. Um, uh, and we, we hope in the future that, that America will come again um, in, in motorcycle racing. It is such a special country 
it's such a special sporting country, but it has such rich history um, in motorcycle racing, uh, especially. Mm-hmm. So um, we hope that someone uh, in the future um, can go on and continue that rich history. And Nicky Hayden was a special, special part uh, of that. As I mentioned, from making his MotoGP debut as a, an American AMA Superbike World Champ- Superbike Champion in 2002 to winning his home Grand Prix in 2005 and six to winning the MotoGP title in 2006, one of the greatest world championship achievements uh, ever made, um, to winning in World Superbikes in 2015. Um, but beyond any of his victories, Nicky Hayden touched the lives of everybody who ever experienced him, uh, either in person, either on TV, uh, or in our case, fortunately, able to speak to him over the phone. Um, we treasure every second that we spent uh, with Nicky uh, Hayden. Um, a champion and a true gentleman, someone who no one could have ever had a bad word uh, to speak about him. Um, Nicky Hayden, as I mentioned, was not only respected, but he was universally adored. Uh, our thoughts go out to the family, the friends of Nicky Hayden, and to all those who have been deeply affected by this tragedy. Um, our thoughts are with you. Our thoughts are with Nicky and his family at this tough time. Ride on, Kentucky kid.